Thank you for that. Immediately following the terror attacks on September 11, 2001, you probably remember that it was kind of quiet outside. I noticed that real quickly because our house was essentially at the time in the landing pattern of Lambert International Airport. and We were used to having airplanes fly over and they were all grounded. That led to another issue. My father at the time was on a business trip to Brussels, Belgium. Along with several others from his company, we were not really sure when he'd get home. We weren't really sure how he'd get home. Finally, after several days, they started allowing airplanes to fly again. He made it back, and we were trying just to get him to this side of the Rockies, and worst case, one of us could go get him. Well, when he showed up at the house, I don't think I was home, but I understand it was very much like when Peter got out of prison in Acts. He came to the door, and my sister Amy noticed it was him and ran through the house saying, Dad's home, Dad's home, and Dad's standing at the door thinking, how about opening it? It was great to have him back, and you've probably seen some of those videos on the internet of uh, service members when they get home, they surprise their family members. You know, maybe showing up at a school function and their kids are just overwhelmed. It's heartwarming. They're happy to have that reunion. They expected mom or dad to make it home, but they weren't sure when. And now they're back. They anticipated the arrival. They were overjoyed when that long-awaited moment came. And the initial reactions to the birth of Jesus show us how righteous people respond to him. You see, when we are confronted with Jesus, we are also confronted with a choice. What are we going to do about it? How do we react? Is he no big deal? Do we scoff? Do we disbelieve? Well, at Jesus' birth, there were people who had been waiting for him. They knew who this Messiah was, and when we understand who he is, our response flows out of that understanding. And this is exactly what happened at his birth. These people who had been anticipating him, who found out he's here, friends, they reacted. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, you are now, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. <clears throat> and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, of the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we have Jesus, the newborn. And Luke's picture of the birth of Jesus quickly shifts to we start seeing people meet this baby. They don't show up and just coo and ooh and ah like we usually do over a newborn. Oh, he's got your eyes. She's got your smile. Woo, she's got her mama's lungs. No, as people are encountering this incarnate Christ, they are reacting because they're reacting to what God has done with him. The first group that shows up, here's the shepherds. We know this one, you know, you've probably seen the, you know, all the nativity scenes. Here come the shepherds. And the shepherds, like we talked about last week, they're not a group that's known for religious observance. They would have been seen as the wrong sort. They're dirty, they're rough. But yet the angels are the ones who come to them. The angels are the ones who say, here, the, the Messiah has been born. Go have a look. You know what they do? They go look. They didn't just sit there and say, ah, we're kind of busy. No, the shepherds, they may not be the most pious bunch, but they are interested in God. They want to know what he is doing. And that's the type of person that Jesus attracted, not the professional religious sorts. They thought they already had God. Not the ones who have no regard for God, they just didn't care. But we're talking about the ones who cared for God, but didn't really see a path to him. And friends, I tell you, there's a lot of folks out there like that. A lot of people that we might think of as, well, not quite the usual sort. Maybe not the wrong sort, but just not the normal ones. But there is a, they have a hunger for God. They know they're missing something in life. They want him. They're just not quite sure how to get to him. They see the usual religious sorts, and they're like, I'm not like those people. Maybe they got a bunch of tattoos. Maybe they're a little rough around the edges, and they see us, and they think, well, I'm not, I don't really fit in with them. It's like, yeah, they don't know us very well. As I look around, I see a lot of folks who are still a little rough around the edges in some ways. I say that to you as someone who's a little rough around the edges. I tell you, not a one of us is all that perfect. We put on a good front sometimes about it. But those types of folks, they flocked to Jesus. They wanted God. They wanted to know that they could get to God. 
Well, the professionals, the Pharisees, the scribes, they looked at him like, ah, you're the wrong sort of shoe. But Jesus welcomed them. So here come the shepherds, the first people being being drawn to Jesus, and their reaction is it, is, it's interesting to me how these shepherds react. They react immediately. They make the decision. They, you know, the, the angels go away. They look at each other. Well, let's go have a look. And it says they go with haste. I've worked a few night shifts in my time. There ain't a whole lot that happens in a hurry on the night shift. You know, you're just trying to stay awake. Trying not to make a mistake that ends up you know, changing work policy, you know, those mistakes. You've probably seen those if you work in some certain jobs, you know, the, the, the warnings that have people's names attached. You don't want to do that, so you don't work, you, you don't move quickly. These guys, they hear and they go, and they go quickly. The reaction is also very open. They go, they see Joseph and Mary. And I'm sure Joseph and Mary are looking at each other like, what are these guys doing here? Hey, if you'd shown up at, a fa- at, the, at the house of a distant relative and you have a baby there and now all of a sudden shepherds from out in the fields are knocking on the door? What are you guys doing here? Some angels appeared to us. What? Shepherds don't normally see angels. And they tell Joseph and Mary about what they they saw and what the angels said. And then as they're going on their way, they tell everybody else. Now, Bethlehem was probably not a town known for its nightlife. This ain't Vegas here, folks. It's not New York City, the city that never never sleeps. No, it's kind of a quiet town. And maybe some folks had seen the shepherds. What are you guys doing here? Some angels appeared to us, said that the Messiah was born in here. Really? Where? Over there. They're telling people. They're not hiding it. If you you had seen the shepherds go by that evening, and you stood still long enough for them to talk to you, they'd have told you. They're open about it, and it's also worshipful. They recognize this as an act of God. They're praising him for it. Look at what God has done. Remember, shepherds, not a really religiously observant group, are overwhelmed and praising God. That's pretty impressive. Their first reaction, the first reaction to Christ, it's enthusiastic, it's worshipful. Let's tell people, let's go see, let's praise God. They find out about Jesus and they can't keep it in. And then Luke shifts the scene to the temple. Now, the birth of every firstborn male required certain purification rites. Uh, if you remember all the way back when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, what was plague number 10? The death of who? Firstborn. So God claimed the firstborn. He said, First, firstborn male out of every womb, you are going to have to make certain sacrifices. This is nailed down in Exodus 13 and Leviticus 12. So 
Jesus, Mary's firstborn is here. They've got to offer the sacrifice, and they go to the temple to do it. The normal sacrifice would have been a lamb. Luke says they're offering two doves. That indicates Joseph and Mary are lower socioeconomic status because the law says you can't afford a lamb. You can do two doves or two pigeons. That's what they could get. Folks, Jesus wasn't born into a rich household. And while they're there doing it, enter from stage left, Simeon. Simeon, he's described as a resident of Jerusalem. It says he's righteous and devout. And whenever you see the Bible give a characterization of somebody, when it describes somebody, you want to listen because it matters. Simeon, man, if the Bible says you're righteous and devout, that's pretty good. There's other points in the Bible where it describes people. You know, in 1 Samuel, David meets a guy named Nabal, and it says, Nabal was a fool. I mean, how dumb you got to be to make it in the Bible for being dumb? I mean, that's impressive level of stupid. Simeon, though, other end of the scale. Bible says righteous and devout. Okay, believe it. Because Simeon has been anticipating God sending the Messiah. The Holy Spirit said, you're going to see this happen in your lifetime. And he believed God. And I just wonder, did Simeon every day wake up and wonder, is it going to be today? Is today the day I see the Messiah? And then he goes to bed that night disappointed. Did he linger before going to bed at night thinking, well, maybe I don't want to be in bed when he comes. Man, we know we're anticipating an event. We're anticipating Jesus coming back. But I got to say, I think Simeon's got me beat on anticipating Jesus. My first thought every morning is not, what if it's today? I know it can be today. Intellectually, yeah, it could be any day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. But I'm not really thinking, ooh, maybe it's here. Yeah, he's got me beat. But here he is. The Spirit leads him to the temple that day. Again, God pointing people to his son. Taps him on the shoulder. Simeon, might want to go to the temple. And he goes in and he recognizes Jesus. We don't know how. I, I, don't, I, I kind of wonder, did, did the Spirit of God just kind of thump him on the back of the head? And, there he is, Simeon. And he knows, you know, he blesses God. He knows the nature of the Messiah from what he says. He knows Jesus is going to be a spiritual leader. That he's going to bring even the Gentiles to God. You see, the Jews, they focused on the king part of the Messiah job description. When they, were, when they anticipated the Messiah, they thought that he was going to be a Jewish king. He'd be a Jewish Messiah with Jewish in all capital letters. Simeon shows that he's been paying attention because he knows Jesus is going to be a Jewish Messiah. Yeah, he's from the Jews, but he's not just for the Jews. And boy, aren't we glad. Because God, several times throughout the Old Testament, he says, Jesus, the, the Messiah, he's going to bring all peoples to God. The Jews didn't pay much attention to those promises. Those promises. 
They were thinking the Messiah is going to come, we'll have the king. But Simeon, he knew who God had sent. He was seeing him right there and he knew right here is the one who's going to bring everybody back to God. He knows God has been at work. He has fulfilled a major promise. And as he talks to the family, as he speaks to Joseph and Mary, it starts getting a little ominous. I mean, did you pick that up at the end of that? He'll be a sign that will be opposed. People will rise and fall about Jesus. The fact is, our standing before God comes down to our relationship with Jesus. You can be the most pious, kindest person imaginable and still reject Christ and be lost. You know, so you see the, you know, we probably all know those folks who are just so good-natured. They're always saying, be kind. Like it's easy. I see a lot of you in here are a little more like me, aren't you? Yeah, I'd be kinder if people would be less dumb. Like I said, I'm not a great person. I'm just happen to be a preacher. Thank you, Jesus. But you can have that type of perfect person. But you know what? Without Jesus, they're still lost. And, we th- and sometimes people will make fun of Christians for this. Oh, you mean you can be a bad, evil person? You don't even return your shopping cart to the corral? Those types. Or somebody that used to work at a grocery store and had to go out and get the carts. Yeah, those types. It's a special kind of evil. You could be a murderer. You could be a thief. And if you turn and trust Jesus and believe in him, that you're, it's all forgiven. You're okay with God? You really believe that? Yep. And folks, we better be glad. And the reason they're having a problem is because they don't understand that even the most, the good, the, the best people among us, the good, the kind, aren't as good and kind as we think. Because even the best among us have still sinned. You can be someone who is quite frankly a mess. The shepherd type. But earnestly seeking Christ and believe in him and be saved. That's what he means when he says people are going to rise and fall around Jesus. Because friends, everything comes down to what do we do with him? How do we react? Do we believe or don't we? It has nothing to do with how good a person we are. Because even at our best, we've still sinned. We've still fallen short. But if we believe in Christ, we are saved. And in that day, the humble, the poor, the outcast would find salvation in Jesus. The proud, the prosperous, the popular would reject him. And in doing that, reject God. On the day Jesus is nailed to the cross... Who's saved? It's the thief on the next crossover. It's not the religious leaders 
who put the Romans up to it. So when Simeon says that, that's something that we ought to take note of. Friends, our standing before God comes entirely down to how we react to Jesus. And he even says, you know, you're going to feel the sting too. We think that's probably a reference to the crucifixion because we know when Jesus was crucified, Mary was there watching it happen. I can only imagine what that would have been like. Simeon sees Jesus, this little infant. He knows God has kept his promise. This long foretold redeemer is here. It's not all done yet. This plan, it's in its final phase. God is uniting all people in his son. And then comes Anna. Now, Anna's a prophetess. God had woman prophets? Yes, yes, he did. There weren't a ton of them. They were mentioned here and there. There's some in the Old Testament. There's some in the New Testament. She's described, she's elderly. She'd been a widow for many years. She was married as a young woman, but her husband died when they were still pretty young. And then she lived out the rest of her life as a widow serving at the temple. And culturally, they would have seen widows that did that, who didn't remarry, who gave themselves to God. They would have been seen as very faithful, very dedicated to God. You know, if we think about, you know, Maybe think in your minds about that kindly old church lady that you know. You know, not the one who's really judgy, but the one who's just really welcoming, really wonderful. The, t- the one that you get to church and you see her and it just gives you warm fuzz- fuzzies. That's Anna. And she's there. Always hanging out at the temple. And I just imagine everybody in that day, if they were around the temple much, if you were an observant Jew and you would go to the temple, do your sacrifices, you'd see Anna and you'd bring somebody there with you sometime. Who's that? Oh, that's Anna. She's always here. She's a great lady. She sees Jesus and starts giving thanks, telling others about him. She also had known of the coming Messiah. She'd also been waiting. And now he's here. These pious, righteous, trusting people who have been following God and waiting for his redemption, they see him personally. There's some similarities we see in each of these cases. You put it all together, here's where you end up. They all had a sense of anticipation. They knew God was working. They trusted his promises. They knew that God hadn't abandoned them. Might have felt like it sometimes. But they knew he was still there. They knew God's word. They believed him. They were waiting. And they were faithful. They anticipated God's actions and trusting his promises. They looked forward to what he was going to do, and they kept waiting. They didn't give it up after a couple of weeks. Now, they may not have understood everything 100%. I imagine if you'd have gone up to Simeon and said, Hey, what exactly is going to happen with this baby? Or talk to Anna and say, Anna, how's God going to redeem us with this child? She may not have been able to articulate it. But she'd have said, I'm, she, I'm not sure. 
but God's faithful and he's going to do it. Let me give you a bit of good news, friends. Life is not the sort of thing where when you die, you better have a number two pencil in your hand because the first thing you see is going to be a scantron for the test at the end. There's a far side cartoon about this some years ago. Guy walking up to the pearly gates. Here's St. Peter in front, you know, with the podium. And he says, all right, a train leaves Boston at 30 miles an hour. Do you need some paper for this? Did any of you like those? You know, I, I admit, I liked the word problems. They were easier for me than the other kind. It was just worked a little better with my mind. Friends, that's not how it's going to be. You don't have to know everything to be saved. Boy, I'm glad there's a lot of stuff we don't know. If you're saying, you know, look, I want to believe in Christ. I just don't understand everything. It's okay. None of us understands everything. There's a lot of stuff in this book that we don't fully grasp. One day, I think we're going to look back on and be like, so that's what it is. And Christians will disagree about certain parts of it. And we'll be poking fun at each other sometimes. You know, oh, you Calvinists. God's making me make fun of you. You know, that type of thing. A little bit of predestination humor. It's a little depraved, but it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, some of you just like, man, this is the humor he's ending the year with. (laughs) See, we got the Athaliah joke in this morning. Yeah. Some of y'all like, I don't get it. It's okay, you don't have to. It's funnier if you do. But I tell you, God is not going to say, well, you did not have the perfect understanding of what predestination is. That's not what matters. What matters is, what do we do with Jesus? Do we believe him? Do we follow him? Because if we anticipate what God has promised, if we trust him, we seek him, we're going to see him at work, we're going to find him, we're going to rejoice, we're going to be glad and have that joy he promises. We may not have full understanding of everything, but we're going to be able to trust God for those times when our understanding falls short. Wonderful thing about God, God is smart. Smarter than we are. So he's going to know some stuff we don't know. But he tells us what we need to know. How do we react knowing Jesus has come? They saw Jesus and they rejoiced. The shepherds, Simeon, Anna. Now what are we going to do about it? If we're going to follow their example, friends, we're going to rejoice in God's son. We're going to believe We're going to follow him. Now, we're not seeing the plan of redemption unfold now. We're looking back at it. Like Chuck said, it's happened. We look back at the cross. We trust, though, that he's going to take us from here and see us safely into eternity. How is he going to do that? I don't need to know. But I know that he will. How's the world going to end? I don't know. If I knew, I'd write a book and make a lot of money. 
That seems to be what to, what to do if you've got a good idea. But I trust. And when we trust in Jesus, when we know what God said about him, we follow him and our rejoicing, it's lived out in lives that are obedient to him. And we may not always be all rah, rah, Jesus, but we keep on muddling through trusting him. And what you're going to do about it? The time has come to make your choice. What are you going to do about it? Jesus has come, friends. We have the testimony of those who were there. We have the testimony of those who have followed him their entire lives ever since. What are we going to do about it? Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We praise you for what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, we glorify you for you have redeemed us in him. Lord, help us every day to live obedient to him, rejoicing that though we might not understand everything, Lord, we can trust you. You have fulfilled your promises thus far. You will fulfill them all. Lord, help us to follow your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.